The title for today's message is God Calls. In 2010, 13 years ago, I was asked to be part of a worship band that would be leading some of the worship at a youth conference in Niagara Falls. We lived in Louisiana at the time, and having never been to New York, I thought that the week after Christmas seemed like a great time (laughs) to uh, get frozen by the falls. And I have many funny stories about that that I won't get into today. You'll have to ask me later. It was a great experience getting to play uh, guitar at this conference in a new city, getting to see the falls, getting to buy a winter coat, um, all those wonderful things. <laughs> a harsh welcome to New York. But what I didn't see in the moment is that God was doing more than just something. He was doing a lot of things at that time in both my life and Chanel's life as we were you know, seeking the Lord about what our future would look like. And by the way, yesterday we celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. So uh, pray for more grace for Chanel um, to put up with me. <laughs> During that time, I met another band from the area. While I was up there and uh, met this strange fellow named Derek Levandusky. We talked a bit about music, we talked a good bit about the gospel, and about his efforts to begin planting this church. We started following each other on social media, staying in touch. To make this long story short, um, maybe one day I'll get to tell the full story with all the twists and turns and the ups and downs. One day, kind of out of the blue, Derek called me. I think this was July of 2015. And he asked if we would pray about moving up here to New York, consider serving at Grace Life, and just being part of what God was doing here. And so we did. We started praying about it. And it indeed was a long road of trying to sort it all out, trying to figure out if this is what God had for us. There were times when it really didn't seem like it was going to happen, especially in 2016. It became really difficult as I was looking for work. And the door just didn't seem to be open. So, you know, we kind of agreed, Chanel and I, if the door doesn't open, we're not going to kick it down. You know, the Lord wants this to happen, it'll happen. Finally, in 2017, in a very short time, very, very short time, it all came together very quickly. We stepped out in faith, often feeling like Abraham, as we're going to look at today. In making this journey, we left behind family and friends and really all that we knew. Uh, We didn't know a lot of people up here. In fact, I think it could be, at that time, really just the Leventuskies, and we kind of knew Nate a little bit, uh, having met him a couple times. But it felt like moving into a foreign land. But as we look back, and it's quickly approaching six years, We see God's hand every step of the way. And we see his grace in all of it. And we're so grateful that he called us to be here. Today, we're going to unpack God's call seen in Abraham's life by looking at two things. The family and the call. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, that we can gather together and, and Celebrate the goodness of your grace and the goodness of your call on our lives, Lord. We worship you this morning, and together as we 
sing these songs of praise and as we listen to uh, this message and as we pray and fellowship together, as we partake in the Lord's table, I just ask that you would uh, reveal more of yourself to us today. We're so thankful for your grace and your love that you've shown us already. And we just ask that we would see a, a greater glimpse of that this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be edified, and that as we go out, uh, we would be fueled up for this week and encouraged and, and ready to go. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the family. Now, in the last couple of months before we took our break for the last little series that we were in, Now What?, we looked at the lives of Adam and Noah. We took a look at how their stories fit into the greater story of redemption. My hope is that throughout these accounts, Adam, Noah, Abraham, and a little sneak preview, we're going to get to uh, Isaac and Jacob in the coming year. My hope is that through these accounts, you have been brought to marvel at the goodness of God in working his redemptive purposes into our space-time history to bring to pass his unstoppable goal of restoring the world to the way that it was supposed to be. The scale of the story beginning in Genesis 1 has been macroscopic. It's been really, really big. The creation of the universe, the earth, and all that lives within The story of Adam led us to the story of the fall and the global consequences of it. This is the whole reason for, excuse me, for the gospel. In the story of Noah, though it is the story of a family, we again see the macroscopic scale of things with the destruction of everything except what is in the ark. There we saw foreshadowing of the gospel and the pattern of salvation through judgment. And in both Genesis 1 and Genesis 9, the command was to go forth and multiply, to fill the earth. Mankind, rather than seeking to obey God's commands, rebelled. Even after the flood, we see this again pretty quickly. Uh, We see it in this chapter that we're beginning in, chapter 11, uh, with the Tower of Babel. We're not really going to cover that story, but... What happened there is mankind sought to unite to make a great name for themselves. And God confused their languages and scattered them all over the earth. God was going to fill the earth, whether mankind wanted to or not. The scale of the rest of Genesis zooms in on one man and his family. In the face of humanity seeking to make a name for themselves, God himself promises to an individual, Abraham, to make his name great. And yet the wide-angle lens of the nations is not lost in the story of Abraham, as we'll see today, because the promise to Abraham is that God will bless all nations. And really, this could be translated as all families through his offspring or seed. In Abraham's story, we will learn of the covenant that God gives to him. A covenant not based on Abraham's faithfulness or obedience, but rather on God's faithfulness. The story of Abraham is not primarily about his sacrificial obedience, but about God's covenantal commitment to fulfill the promises that God has made. Now, as we begin his story, I want to mention just a couple of things, kind of set the stage a little bit. 
Three of the major world religions lay claim to Abraham as a patriarchal figure, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And we will see why that is as we go through his story, uh, as we go through the highlights and the low points of his life. I don't think you can really understand certain world events without understanding this connection. He's an important figure in history for much of the world. As well, I want to mention the name change that we will see. As we begin the story of Abraham's life, we see that he is called Abram, and his wife Sarah is called Sarai. And this is because God will change their names later. Abram is Abraham, and Sarai is Sarah. And at times you'll hear me use these interchangeably. Um, I will be quoting from some New Testament scriptures where the, word, or the name Abraham is used. And when we're reading through Genesis, the passages we're looking at today, it's going to be Abram. Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. But when we first meet Abram, he's the father of none. And so let's read Genesis 11, 27 through 31. It'll be on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles or your Bible app. 11.27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. They went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we see the beginning of the story of this family. We find Abram and his family in Ur of the Chaldeans, which you can see here on this handy-dandy map that I have for you. So if you look at the red arrows, um, I hope you can sort of make out what's going on there. Uh, You can see the the cities where Abram and his family settled. Uh, I don't have a laser pointer, and I definitely can't reach. Uh, But Ur, where you just saw the bug fly by, uh, right under Babylonia, is the city that they were born in, the city that Abram was born in. They traveled up to Haran, uh, kind of northwest of Assyria there. And that's where they settled before heading down into Canaan. Ur was located in what would become Babylon and what is modern-day Iraq. The family left Ur. They began to head towards Canaan, but they settled in Haran, which is part of northern Mesopotamia at the time. What we're seeing in all this at the end of chapter 11 is a bleak reality All of humanity has reached a dead end. If you remember a few weeks back when we were talking about Noah, we talked about how his family came through the line of Seth. The line of Seth was the godly line, the line that preserved the knowledge of God and of the promise of the seed who would come and crush the head of the serpent. After the flood, it was the line of Shem, Noah's son, that preserved this knowledge. But the account of Terah and his family shows us that this line had reached an end. This line that had preserved the knowledge of God has gone over to idol worship. 
The book of Joshua confirms this, Joshua 24, 2 and 3. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Now, Abram grew up in a pretty average setting for his day. Living in Ur, they lived in a polytheistic culture, polytheistic setting. They had many gods. Abram was not obedient to God. Abram was not faithful. He wasn't looking for God. He didn't choose God. The last flicker of spiritual light had seemingly gone out. Not only spiritually, but physically as well. Because as we see in verse 30, his wife Sarai was barren. And Sarai's barrenness pictures the hopelessness of the situation. The human race has hit a dead end. The knowledge of God seems to be fading. The promise of the seed who would come and crush the serpent's head seems to be fading. They're old. She's barren. And they worship idols. It's a hopeless situation. And then God speaks. The very one who spoke all of life into existence calls to Abram. And there is hope. Let's read about the call in Genesis 12, 1 through 9. And we're going to kind of park here for a while. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai, not artificial intelligence, on the east... And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Without the call of God, you are sleeping in a spiritual death sleep. You remain blind to God, blind to the truth, and blind to salvation. Without the call, you remain dead in your sins and transgressions. Now, what is the call of God? Well, there's actually many ways we could speak of the call of God. I'll list a few. Uh, Calling, the call of God might refer to vocation. God sovereignly orchestrates our vocations, our work. So wherever he places you, uh, work diligently unto the Lord and use the giftings that he has given you to honor him and shine a light for Christ. Calling might refer to where you live. God may call some of you to stay where you grew up, to live in the same region or place, and just to love the community that he's given you. Or uh, others may feel a call to go elsewhere, different city, different state, and sometimes a different country. 
perhaps on the mission field in a foreign land, or like my story of how God had called us to move up here to help at Grace Life. We see this call, this type of call in Abram's story for sure. The call of God, as I'm primarily focusing on now, can refer to salvation. There's the external call when God's people proclaim the forgiveness of sins through the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, there's the internal call. Some have called this the effectual call of God. And this is God's sovereign drawing of a sinner to salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. He saves. This internal call occurs when one hears the good news, receives it with faith, believing that good news. And this is all worked by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So this call of God is both necessary and it's gracious. It's necessary because without this call, you remain spiritually dead. Abram grew up in the right familial line, but without the call of God, he remained lost in his idolatry. I grew up in a Christian home. I think I've attended church since I was like a week old. But without the call of God, I would be dead in sin. Parents, our children can grow up in the best homes with a good church family. They can grow up with Christian friends and as much godly protection as we can offer. But without the Spirit of God breathing life to their hearts, they will be nice, moral, religious idolaters. But this shouldn't cause us fear because I truly believe that God is sovereign in all of this and his call is effective and he saves And so I just encourage you, proclaim the gospel to your children and ask God to call them. Children, don't let this just be your parents doing all the Christian things, doing all the church things. Hear the Lord calling himself to you and believe. Now we see kind of a shadow of this call in Abram's story. Here in chapter 12, the call of God came to Abram. Now, this is before the law is given. This is before the old covenant. Obviously, it's before the new covenant, which was inaugurated in the blood of Jesus. So Abram wasn't born again like believers are under the new covenant. He didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside, but he looked forward to the promise. More on that in a bit. God makes a covenant here with Abram, which will be sealed later in Genesis. But as Romans says and Hebrews makes clear, Abram believed God. He was justified by faith. Abram believed in the promises of God. And so in that way, he experienced the call of God. Abram was unqualified in every way. I think sometimes, again, we think of these Old Testament figures as being great heroes of obedience and faith. And certainly Hebrews 11 shows their faith. Uh, But we we sometimes think of them as larger-than-life characters who were just always nailing it. Read the Old Testament. (laughs) He was unqualified in every way. He was not a faithful guy. He was worshiping idols. The call of God is an act of grace. It didn't come because Abram was qualified. It qualified Abram because of the call of God. 
Because of the call of God, Abram obeyed God's command. We're seeing the power of the call of God. The call of God is so powerful that not only do you have to have it or your life is a dead end, no matter how nice of a person you are, but it also will transform you no matter how bad of a person you are. And here what we're seeing in Abram's life is that this call takes on the hopelessness of a dead end. It takes on the hopelessness of an old man and a barren woman and brings hope. God says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In this call of God, as I mentioned a moment ago, is a a call to go. It's a call to leave behind a place and go to another place. And it's a radical call. It's a radical call in that Abram is called to leave behind country and family, culture and status, everything that he knew, everything that probably brought comfort, to leave behind the all the things that he's known, for the unknown. Notice that God doesn't really tell him where to go, other than Canaan. Uh, Some other scriptures uh, show that God at least made that portion clear to him. But notice that God says, go to a place that I will show you. So basically, get out, and I'll tell you where you're going later. I wonder if Abram was like my daughter. Are we there yet? (laughs) Abram says, okay, and he goes. He obeys. The call of God is radical. Whether he calls you to step into new things or to new places, it's radical. It's radical to trust your future to him. And the internal call of salvation is especially radical. To trust that you are forgiven and clean and close to God, though you don't deserve it, but because of Jesus, it's true. That's radical. Abram is called to step out into something radical, to trust his future to God. God makes this promise to him. Verse 2, I will make make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Whereas the people at the Tower of Babel sought to make their names great, God promises to make Abram's name great. He promises to bless Abram and his family. He promises protection and his very presence to him. Also that Abram would bless others. Now when you look at this in the flesh, it's just impossible. He's 75 years old, as we'll see in verse 4, when he departs Haran. It's already been established. Sarai is barren. What do you think is running through Abram's mind when he hears this announcement from the Lord? The God who he has never worshipped, who he has not followed, is promising to make a nation out of him, to bless him with children, He's 75 years old. And even though they lived for longer periods of time back then, that still was past the time of having kids. I don't know what he was thinking, but what's clear is that he obeyed and he believed. Flip that, he believed and obeyed. Despite the impossibility of the situation, Abram believes and he takes God at his word and he obeys. 
Now, as we unpack this passage, this portion of the passage, I do want to move through this with some sensitivity. Like many of you, I've seen the shocking news and images coming out of Israel these past couple of weeks. These horrendous and evil acts from the terrorist group Hamas are incredibly heartbreaking. We need to be praying for peace. We need to be praying for the people there. Uh, Pray for a swift end to the conflict and for justice. Pray for salvation. I want to encourage you to pray for Israel and to pray for the Palestinians and to pray for those in Hamas. God saves to the uttermost. As the psalmist writes, let's be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. The passage we're looking at today, and the reason I want to move with sensitivity to what's happening, is often used with reference to modern-day Israel and how nations ought to treat Israel. We need to understand that this passage, especially speaking of verse 3, is primarily a promise of the blessing of the coming of Jesus, which will bless all nations. So does verse 3 speak of how we ought to treat modern-day national Israel? No, it does not. Having said that, I I believe that as Christians we should pray for Israel and seek their good. I believe that we should uh, pray for all nations and pray for peace. We should desire peace. We should show kindness and compassion to everyone regardless of their nationality or ethnicity. And we should remember that Israel was and is special to God. And so we should desire good for others and the nations. We should desire good for Israel and their peace. We also need to see that our relationship with God and the blessings that he gives under the new covenant are not based on political alliances or favoritism towards a specific nation, but on our faith in Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity to converse with author Chad Bird a little bit about this passage And he shared this with me. He said, The blessings of Abraham belong to the Israel of faith, as Paul defines it in Galatians. All those, whether Jew or Gentile, who have faith in Jesus, the Messiah, are the offspring of Abraham, the heirs of the promise. The clear message of the New Testament is that when Jesus came, Israel continued and expanded to include Jews as well as Gentiles, all those who confess faith in Jesus. The fulfillment of Genesis 12 is the inclusion of all the families of the earth in the spiritual community of faith. So let's dig into that a bit. Where do we see this in the New Testament? Well, first, Jesus speaks to this. In John 8, Jesus and the religious leaders were in a dispute. The leaders argued, um, first of all, that Jesus was demon-possessed, but they were also arguing that they were the children of Abraham. They were the sons of Abraham. Their father was Abraham because they were physically of his line. Jesus argued that they were not Abraham's children, for they did not respond to Jesus the way Abraham would have responded. And Jesus goes as far to say that their father is the devil. Abraham would have rejoiced at his coming because he had seen it by faith. Though he didn't live to see it in his lifetime, he saw it from afar by faith. And so Jesus is saying that they are not the children of the promise. In Romans 9, Paul agonizes over Israel and how the Jewish people missed the new covenant despite having all the promises, and most importantly, the Messiah himself from their race. He says in verses 6 through 8, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. 
but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Now Paul speaks of this blessing of Abraham from Genesis 12 in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3, 7 through 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In this passage, Paul is quoting Genesis twelve three, And he is showing uh, as sort of a commentary on Genesis twelve three that this blessing is extended to all who would believe in Christ. It is those who are in Christ who are the true recipients of this blessing along with Abraham because this promise is ultimately about Christ and the blessings of it apply more so to any who are in Christ than national Israel itself. Now, I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit from passage to passage. Forgive me for that. We're on a journey through the, through the scriptures here. Uh, back to Genesis 12 and verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Paul explains this back in Galatians 3, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And in verses 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Jesus fulfills God's promise to bless all the nations, all families, as the true offspring of Abraham. However, this blessing is not fulfilled only in Christ as an individual, but it's extended to you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are his offspring. You are his people, the Israel of faith. And so if you've believed in Christ, you are in him, and you are a child of the promise. And this blessing is to you. God was preaching the gospel to Abram, and he was speaking about you. What this all boils down to is that God promises Abram that one day, the one promise to come from the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head and reverse the curse would come from Abram's line. That through Abram, not only would his family be blessed, but the nations would be blessed. And that one day people living in and around Avon, New York, would be called sons and daughters of the promise, heirs of the promise. This is the blessing. And so Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is more about you and the blessing that is applied to you because of Christ. Abram hears this call, both the external call to go and the internal call. And what does he do? Well, verse 4 says it. So Abram went. Abram went. He stepped out. He was old. He took his wife, his nephew, his possessions, and his servants, and he went. They headed for Canaan. Abram's life from here on out is that of a wanderer, a nomad. 
you would think based on this promise that he would you know, find a place to settle and that would become his home and his nation. But Abram's life is actually the life of a wanderer. He wanders from place to place, never really establishing a permanent home. He never settled for long. And so though the land was promised to him, he never really saw the fulfillment of that promise in his lifetime. Corey Tenboom wrote that we ought never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Abram lived this principle out. He trusted God, took him at his word, and he obeyed by faith. He also made many mistakes, as we're going to see. But that's not how the New Testament writes of him. We need to see that all of this, his response was by faith. Hebrews eleven eight through 12, we just went through this not long ago. But it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abram lived, never seeing the ultimate fulfillment of the promise in his lifetime, but he saw it by faith. He went where God would tell him to go later. All the while, he was looking for a city built by God. He looked to the promise of the serpent crusher, though he didn't see that in his lifetime. But as Jesus told the Pharisees, he saw it by faith. And you who have believed, right in this room, those who have believed the good news of Jesus Christ, you are one of his descendants, as many as the stars of heaven. Let's land this. We've seen a bit about the call of God, some of the ways that he calls us, the internal, the external ways. We've seen the radical nature that the call of God takes. We've seen the power of the internal call to take what was hopeless and broken by sin and right it. We've seen just how far and wide this blessing of Abram goes. So how do we live in light of it? Quickly, just two things. First for us, just as it was for Abram, is to receive the call of God. Abram had to believe God's promise, which first meant he had to have a son. But he was old, and Sarai was barren. And it's like God is telling Abram, it seems impossible. You just have to live with faith in the son. His son of promise, Isaac, points us to the truer and better son of promise, Jesus. Look to Jesus. He also had a call to go out to leave his father's house. He emptied himself of all but love. He left the ultimate father's house and ultimate security. Why did he do it? He did it for us, for you. He went so that he could pay the penalty of sin that we owed, so that we could be brought into his family to be made the sons and daughters of promise. He answered the ultimate the ultimate call so that you can answer his call. So the key for Abram is the key for us. Believe in the son. Believe in the son. Secondly, there are things God has called you to. And sometimes those are 
impossible feeling. Sometimes they're pretty radical. I just want to encourage you to trust and rest, knowing that his call comes with the grace to answer the call. What he calls you to, he equips you for. Whether that's your vocation, your job, where you live, if you're in school, that. What he calls you to, he equips you for. Perhaps for some it's a spouse, and for others a single life. He's equipping you for those things. And so you can step out in faith, knowing that he has gone before you. He's gone before you, and so the works that he's prepared for you, he did that beforehand, before you were even born. You have all you need by his grace. Amen.